Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. This is Marlene Schwartz. I am the director of the Yale Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity, and I am delighted today to welcome Joyal Mulherin, who is visiting us from Washington, D.C., and has agreed to sit down with us for a few minutes and talk about her work in a variety of organizations looking at the childhood obesity crisis in the United States. And so let me just start off saying welcome, Joyal. And um, can you tell us a little bit about how you first got involved in the issue of childhood obesity? Sure, it started several years ago now when I was working at the National Governors Association. And I was hired by NGA to manage, help manage a national initiative um, by our chairman, uh, former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee. And with chairmanship comes a national initiative at NGA, and his was focused on health and wellness. And during that time, um, Robert Wood Johnson was one of our was one of our major funders, and uh, RWJF was saying to me uh, back, I guess it was in 2005, 2006, um, you've got to do something about childhood obesity. And I kept saying, you've got to be kidding me. What am I going to tell a governor to do about obese children? And in fact, at the time, you couldn't even call a child obese. All children were labeled as overweight. Um, and uh, after a lot of thinking about what to do, we decided we'd run a gubernatorial grant program where governors would tell us what they would do about childhood obesity. And we involved some of the nation's sort of leading scientific thinkers to help us uh, review all the applications from the governor's office and, and select 15 states to receive some funding to launch initiatives within their own states. And um, a few days after we awarded the states, 15 governors, um, these funds, uh, Robert Wood Johnson made its uh, announcement of $500 million in childhood obesity. And so it's been several years now, and I've certainly watched uh, the issue ebb and flow on a national level and you know, go from um, its early days where I think a lot of people were thinking about what could we do to something that's much more structured and organized nowadays. So how did the Partnership for a Healthier America get developed and sort of come onto the scene? Sure. So uh, PHA was an idea, uh, and this is this sort of predates my, uh, my involvement in the organization, but from my understanding, PHA was an organization that um, could be um, a helpful ancillary to the White House efforts on childhood obesity. The First Lady Michelle Obama had announced her Let's Move initiative, and on the same day that she announced the Let's Move initiative, she, she announced the launch of, of PHA, which is a 501c3 that works alongside both the East and West wings of the White House um, on issues related to childhood obesity. And PHA's mission was unique in that it really focused on the role of the private sector and not just having the private sector use the bully pulpit or use the national stage to make public proclamations about what they intended to do um, as it related to the childhood obesity epidemic, but PHA's true mission was to get those organizations or those private sector entities signed on contract. And then in addition to run a back 
ground verification effort to make sure that the companies were doing what they said they were going to do. Right, and that's actually how you and I met each other because one of the first companies that agreed to participate in this um, in the sort of early childhood education space was Bright Horizons. Correct. And um, it was really exciting for us because we had never been involved in a project like that, but to be able to work with PHA and develop the evaluation plan of how we would monitor the changes that Bright Horizons was making over their three-year commitment was was really exciting for us and a lot of a big learning experience because um, we hadn't worked with a private company that way, but also we were very impressed by how committed they were to making the changes and how, you know, I think having made that commitment as part of PHA, as part of, you know, Michelle Obama's initiative, it, it was a very strong motivator for them and I think resulted in some significant improvements. So anyway, that's how we started working together. Um, What do you see when you think about, you know, because that was just one part of many, many things that PHA did. What do you think of some of their larger accomplishments as? Yeah, well, I would say sort of, well, just to follow up on that one note, I would say that the companies that we worked with were quite serious about the changes that they were making. They certainly didn't want to make a public proclamation, then be held accountable by a third-party verification group, and then publicly reported on whether or not they were doing what they said they were going to do. And so one of the, I think, one of the the best opportunities in Washington um, frankly, to sort of move the needle was at PHA. I think in Washington, it's often, you know, stigmatized by the stalemates in Congress. And I think the private sector and the advocates were at a juncture where they were looking for an alternate form of accountability, not necessarily through regulation, but that they could collectively move the needle forward. And I think that that was what was so exciting about PHA was the fact that you could take a corporate group like Bright Horizons, who was very committed to really investing in a healthy early childhood, and a group um, you know, like the Yale Rudd Center, and pair them together to really leverage each other's um, expertise to really uh, move the needle forward for, for their children. And so I thought it was um, very exciting that the model worked. And so if there was one thing that I would say, uh, and not necessarily one deal or one corporate group, I would say the corporate groups that we were working with, hand over fist, were very thoughtful in how they approached um, the commitments that they were going to make. They were very serious internally about making the changes. And often, um, you know, companies would even come in um, with some proposed ideas and, and, and where we would think, oh, that wasn't enough. You're not moving the needle far enough. Um, and we would have really thoughtful debates with the companies and among staff about what was the right threshold of engagement with a particular private sector group, but I think what was most exciting about the whole venture was that the model worked, that the private sector and the advocates found that there was some common measures and some common good that would benefit um, you know, all, all Americans in, in some fashion, whether or not that was in early childhood, um, the uh, expansion, grocery store expansion in low income or uh, low income or vulnerable neighborhoods throughout the United States, um, whether or not it was investments in physical activity. I just saw that there was 
a real collective interest and optimism about we can all do something and people were trying to aggregate their efforts in such a way that really um that really were going to impact kids and families on a local level and and that is not something that you often get to see in dc dc is you know within the beltway it can be very far removed from actual change um, on the local level so i thought that that was um that was particularly notable and secondly i would say that um our report that we worked on with the Altarum Institute um, in it for good, our, annu- our first annual report that, um, that I and many other staff worked on was a major accomplishment for the organization. We really were able to demonstrate to the public and to philanthropy that we were holding our members accountable in a very constructive way um, for both parties, but also um, the methods were standing rig- were standing against rigorous science and and um, and critics and and people, you know, sat back and in some of in some of the deals, I think, and some of the commitments and partners we had, I think some of the folks were very vocal, and you know, I know um, score one for the good guys was in was you know in in one news article, but I also um, think that you know, the actual change is yet to be seen. PHA is a young organization. It was started in 2010. Formal staff did not start until January of 2011. So it has a long way to go. Mm -hmm. So it it remains to be seen. And this is, it's, this is a, it's a tough thing to do to get corporate America really invested in these sets of social issues that are very complicated. Um, but I do think that there are a lot of private sector groups looking to find that common good and, and, try, and try to move the needle so that we can all work together uh, to improve the health of kids. Yeah, I also was really impressed by how well the model worked. You know, having been involved so early on before it had really been tested, you know, we, you know, entered in good faith. You know, we're committed to do this and, you know, we're certainly going to do a scientifically rigorous job. Um, but I really did feel like the, you know, it's interesting, the companies, of course, that were interested in doing it were leaders. Right. But now I feel like other companies in that same you know, field, like their competitors are looking as well and are probably feeling pressure to try to make those changes as well because, you know, those, the original companies are being rewarded, you know, publicly and, you know, in the case of, of a childcare center, you know, parents know what to expect. They know, you know, how their children are going to be fed in these centers. And so I just think that it is really going to build on itself over time that, you know, that first you know, a couple of years of doing it kind of got the, the front runners, but I imagine that we'll continue to see more companies moving in that direction. I mean, the other thing that it does is it really changes the social norm. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges in this whole arena is that policies and, you know, regulations, laws can be passed to try to push people to have certain behaviors or to create an environment for certain behaviors. But we also need to get people to just change their expectations and, you know, have new ideas of what a normal, you know, lunch at a daycare center looks like or a normal kid's meal at a restaurant looks mm-hmm. like. And so I think as some companies take that plunge, it, they'll be, you know, kind of leading the way for that change. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's so important that the companies that are committing to do this are successful. 
because if we, at the end of the day, when I was at PHA, if we had to stand up and say, boy, this didn't work, that would really, I think, set the field back. And Mm -hmm. when we were brokering these deals, collectively the staff and the board at many levels were very thoughtful as to whether or not this was the right deal and this was the right commitment. And we really would push the the corporate groups, you know, along to say, can you really do this? And I will say, um, you know, we we I will say in my my two and a half years there, learned a lot. Learned a lot about how corporate America um, uh, operates, how how many challenges it has, the shareholders, bottom line, social responsibility, uh, portfolios, uh, jobs. I mean, getting through a recession, there are so many complicating factors. And that really from any day to the next, while they would make a commitment to us, you know, sort of in the maybe more of a social philanthropic and within their social philanthropic portfolio that could in fact change in some ways and in some organizations really to change the business model for a particular division or group within a company, um, you always have to be mindful that Wall Street can change tomorrow. And, and that was a constant tension, and we certainly saw companies and go through highs and lows. And then actually, you know, um, I, I know some say implement, implementation trumps strategy. And so even if you sat down and you had the most brilliant strategy, at the end of the day, actual implementation to get the right food in front of those kids or make sure the right food was available to get into the kitchens so that the kitchen staff who then had the expertise to prepare that food to get in front of the kids. I mean, you really have to start looking at a, uh, a litany of factors in order to be successful in this. And um, and I think that's a te- I think that's a healthy tension that should exist and push us and push those companies to do better um, and, and seek to resolve those challenges. Um, but yeah. I yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, one of the things that I observed in when we presented this initiative at the meeting in Washington last February is that I think the leaders from Bright Horizons didn't realize how hard it was going to be to make some of those changes that, you know, especially with a large organization, not there isn't really any one person who knows every single nuance of how all these decisions are made in individual sites for their organization. And there were just a couple examples of you know, one of the um, pledges that was made was that low-fat milk would be served. And it turned out there were parts of the country where the suppliers of milk to those centers didn't carry low-fat milk. <laughs> and so right. you can th- you can imagine under other circumstances where um, a company wasn't being tracked and watched and evaluated and um, that they could have said, oh, well, we can't because they don't carry it. But in this case, of course, they were motivated to say, well, you need to start carrying it or we need to find another supplier. And so that I was just impressed with um, how kind of when the rubber hit the road, those changes really did happen because of the accountability. And a lot of times when places are trying to do things on their own, you know, there are a lot of, I think, you know, child care centers around the country or even groups of child care centers around the country that want to do the best by their kids and want to improve their nutrition but they don't necessarily have the um, sort of that strength to push through some of those obstacles because they don't have someone at the top saying, we have to do this, whatever it takes. 
So that was pretty impressive yeah, to me. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And early childhood being a unique field for so many different reasons, but I will say the challenges that you talked about with milk, I, I think we could see we would see those challenges in just about every other deal that we brokered. Mm-hmm. Um, there are just when you really you know, get down, get down to it, the devil's in the details, just like with anything else. And um, I would also say anything worth doing um, is not easy. Um, You know, it is hard. And I do think that's why um, Bright Horizons, I I completely agree with you, they were very committed to making this work because you had to be um, in order to be publicly evaluated. so it was, uh, I, I would say all of the companies while I was there were, were very, were very invested in, in, um, in making it work, even if it wasn't the issue alone or the issue itself that brought them to the table, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. So sort of moving forward, um, you're not at PHA now and sort of having a chance to take a step back and look at the field, look at the movement, look at the picture nationally. I mean, you've connected with probably everybody on the national scene who cares about this issue and know all the organizations that are involved. What do you see as the next steps for the field as we try to organize ourselves to move forward? That's a great question. I think the next steps for the field, there would be um, there would be several. I think one of the things that the field itself lacks um, and I would say sort of the, the children's health movement, if you will, <clears throat> pardon me, being the field, is a coordinating function. I think that there are ways that we can leverage what's happening on a national scale um, on issues that aren't as polarizing when it comes to regulation and so forth. But let's take um, walking, for example. I think walking is, um, you know, a fairly straightforward issue and something that just about everyone could hopefully do more of depending on the construction of your community and of course the time restraints um, that that many people actually have these days but that's something where an issue where I think regardless of where you fall in the political spectrum or in the spectrum of the movement and I would say with community initiatives being on one end where really innovation um, at the local level and uh, individual community identity all the way to an advocacy campaign being on the other end of the spectrum, which really requires a more organized and lockstep approach to execute around a specific mission. I think that there are ways in which across that entire continuum that, um, that we can increase partnerships amongst the different groups and frankly amongst groups that aren't currently at the table on these sets of issues i think we need a lot of new faces and i think we need to be making the case to people why this is important i'll tell you that i've spent the last couple months my summer off and uh, with my family and sort of reimmersing myself to probably the everyday life of suburban America and these sets of issues childhood obesity or what what foods are on on our table while it's something really important to me I will tell you it's not within the ether of the community this is not the major issues facing parents today Um, you know in certain demographics in the United States you're worried about gang violence or are your kids safe at school or are you even do you have enough money to even feed your family 
Um, in, in other sectors, it's about quality education and um, bullying at school. And so there are, other, there are other very important issues facing parents today. And I think because in, in some ways there's been a lot of progress on this, it's not the forefront issue. Um, but I do think that if we can bring in new sets of stakeholders that may not fit the bill or carry our mission to the extent that that um, we hope that they would, um, I think it's those new faces and new brokers in order to sort of continue to move the needle. I mean, I can say quite notably when I was at PHA, um, you know, doing anything on healthy food, there was a tension between what's a healthy food versus mm. what's organic versus what's local versus what's fair trade or fair labor. And while each of those issues are notable issues within and of themselves, there is a tension within each of those communities about how to work together. And I think that that's really unfortunate. And I think that there are ways across, again, across that continuum to, to bring these groups together um, in a more constructive way to move the needle, but also looking outward um, on how do we bring in new folks. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one of the one of the issues that you mentioned is something I've also thought a lot about: the tension between people who are advocates for hunger and food insecurity, and the people who are advocates for um, nutrition and you know, or more physical activity, and really focusing on being healthy. And I think that you know, unfortunately, there have been times where certain political issues have come up, and those two sides are fighting with each other which is you know, the last thing we need. But so I think it would be really amazing if there were a way to try to pull those groups together specifically and, and, and sort of get through this idea that you know, any calorie is better than no calorie and really starting to incorporate this idea that healthier food for people who are hungry is really gonna help them you know, sort of get out of this cycle as opposed to just providing these empty calories, which don't really provide the nutrition and sort of keep them stuck. So anyhow, that's just something that um, I've thought a lot about and I think is really interesting. And I agree. I think that we do need to start pulling in other partners, um, even though they may have different priorities. I think there is a lot of overlap. I mean, in the in the end, I think most People want healthy, happy children. <laughs> There's, you know, and that's obviously something everyone can agree on. But the specifics of sort of how to get there are going to vary by group. If I could just add on that, though, you know, I and this might be somewhat controversial among some of my health colleagues, but you know, when I was at PHA or even at NGA before that, when I would think about making a recommendation. Um, either to a private sector group or to a governor's office, I would always have the mom working two or three jobs in mind who didn't have enough time to cook and was fighting between do I pay the rent, do I buy the food, and how, you know, at the end of the day, you want your kids to go to bed with a full belly. Um, and, and I agree with you that there, there have been times where those, the hunger groups and the health folks have not been as collegial as, um, as I think they, they could be, but this going back to, a, an agreement with, with Walmart that was done, um, under P when I was at PHA and 
Walmart um, being one of the primary grocers, um, not only in the United States, but for those families who are at most risk and and providing affordable options and alternatives for those those moms who are working multiple jobs. That's a place I, that's a place where a group like Walmart can come in. There's a lot of politics and there's certainly a lot of opinions regardless of what private sector group you're talking to. It does not matter. Every, there are issues surrounding every single one of them. But that agreement, for example, had, has the potential to impact nearly half of America on any given week. That was such a huge commitment by the organization. And I feel a real opportunity to, to do something both for hunger um, in improving the calorie that could be sold at those stores, as well as um, as as well as you know providing healthier food so for those families. So, I completely agree. With, I completely agree with what you've said. Yeah, no, th- I think definitely the Walmart agreement that was one of the first that you all did, and I think was you know was really significant. And I think that you know Walmart has an awful lot of influence, you know, even when it comes to pricing and, you know, supply and demand. So I think the fact that they were one of the first to come on board is a really great sign. Um, Okay, well, I just want to give you an opportunity to share any last thoughts that you have before we close up. I'm very delighted you were able to come up and visit with us today. Any last thoughts? I just really appreciate being here and being invited. Thanks for having me. Great. Okay, this is Marlene Schwartz. I am the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. I encourage you to visit our website at www.yaleredcenter.org, where you can download other podcasts as well as sign up for a newsletter, Twitter alert, Facebook, and other ways of keeping in touch with us. Thank you.